Proverbs chapter 3. If you're thinking, I didn't know that was one of my favorite. Well, I bet you will think that when you uh, read what we're about to read. At least a couple of the verses you have either heard of or committed to memory. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace it will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. I've called this message, Can You Trust Your Guide? And you've heard of those verses, haven't you? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Still in our minds, we recall some of the images over the television from 1990 when the Gulf War developed and they had that famous view from that hotel in Baghdad of the fire in the sky as Baghdad was being bombed. And we remember also the cameras mounted on some of the smart bombs, the sophisticated weapon system as you saw that approaching the target and finally it went into just utter darkness as that bomb detonated. Well, in December, I was back in Baghdad and I stayed in the same hotel CNN stayed in, the Al Rashid Hotel, and it just happened that I was on the 23rd floor where that was filmed and where CNN was stationed. And the next day when we were driving with a taxi driver, I took the liberty to ask if they remembered those fatal days, and if they had ever seen a smart bomb. And our taxi driver said, oh, I remember. A couple of times looking up and seeing those low-flying missiles, they would come through the sky and then they would turn as if on a dime. He says, I could tell you what color the nose was and the tail was. And it seemed for the first time the world in that war was made aware of the sophisticated kind of guidance that a missile could be so connected to its source and also that the source could receive information back visually as that by laser and by computer and infrared technology that bomb was launched toward its target. Those weapons were programmed and as long as the communication was intact, they would hit their target. Well, you and I have been programmed and as long as we're in contact with our source, our programmer, We will hit the desired target. And so we need to know our guidance system. It's a pretty advanced guidance system. First of all, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, unlike anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ has. And I found that people want guidance. Nowadays, people are looking to all sorts of superstitious things to give them guidance. Late night television has the psychic hotline. You just call 1-800-PSYCHO. Well, psychic. (laughs) And these psychics are supposed to give you guidance. Others will take the daily newspaper and look in the astrology section. They want the stars to give them guidance. Some will go to a seance. They want Casper the Friendly Ghost to give them guidance. (laughs) 
or their departed relatives to give them guidance. Now, this has been going on for a long time. The ancient Romans had a unique kind of, well, it's like prophecy by chicken. They would put a hen in a cage, and they would put food in front of that hen, and if the hen would eat sort of greedily, go at the food, it was a good sign. It was like a yes to them. Uh, If the hen refused to eat, it meant no. And you can see how a system like this is open to abuse. Many of the people, when they would want a yes vote from the chicken, would simply starve the chicken the day before. Put the hen in and let it go at it. The question that is answered by our text this morning is, how can I know that God is leading my life? How can I know God is leading my life? God certainly wants to guide us. Well, how can I know that He is? What is there that lets me know God is in control of my life and my decisions? As a young Christian, I was puzzled when I heard Christian vocabulary. I call it Christianese. And somebody said to me, I feel led to do that. And I didn't know what exactly that meant. What do you mean you feel led? Does somebody have a pencil in your arm? What does it mean to feel led? I I didn't really get that. I asked them to explain it to me. I was reading about John Wesley when he was 32 years old and he was a missionary over in Georgia. He met a young woman that just knocked his socks off. He wanted to marry her. She was beautiful. And she was a godly woman. And they developed their relationship and they were going to get married. But he had a few friends who were a little bit legalistic, super spiritual, who told Wesley that it was more spiritual to be single than to be married. And that he should marry this girl. And so one of his friends decided, well, let's see what God's will is. Let's see if God would direct you to marry her. And he convinced Wesley to choose lots. He took three pieces of paper and wrote something different on on each of the pieces of paper. On uh, the first he wrote, marry her. So if he were to choose that, it would be his sign from God that he should go ahead with the wedding. On the second piece of paper, he said, think no more of it this year, which means maybe in the future, but not this year. Give it a year and then see. And the third piece of paper said, think no more about this. And Wesley happened to choose number three. He was heartbroken, but he broke up this relationship with this young lady. For 15 years, he was single. 15 years later, he married a wealthy widow, and uh, she proved to be not only a poor companion to him, but a hindrance to his own ministry. And after 20 years of mutual misery, she walked out on him. When I read this, the guy who wrote the article said it seemed that Wesley should have stuck to the Georgia peach from the beginning. How can we know the will of God? Pretty desperate when a guy's going to choose lots or look for that kind of a sign. Well, as we look at Proverbs 3 this morning, there's a few things that we want to bring out. Number one, the promise that is here. The promise to lean on. He will direct your path. But there are prerequisites to the promise. It is not just a banner statement. There are prerequisites to live by. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. And then finally, the payoff at the end. Let's look at the promise. We'll just cut right to the quick in verse 6. At the very end it says, And he shall direct your paths. This is one of the most famous 
statements in the Bible and one of the greatest promises that throughout history Christians have grabbed a hold of, that God would direct my path. Now, God delights in guiding us. Did you know that? He wants to lead us. Even as a father would delight in leading his child. If a son or a daughter said, Daddy, would you help me? Daddy, would you guide me? Any good father would say, absolutely. We wouldn't say, go away, kid, you bug me. Parents delight in giving guidance to their children. The problem is when children get a little older, they just don't want it as much. But the idea here is, my son, verse 1. It's a father giving instruction to his son. And the instruction is to trust in the Lord. By the way, that's a good transition, fathers. As your kids look to you for answers and ask you questions and give you advice, you want to consistently show to them that there is another father that they must trust and eventually trust the rest of their lives, and that is God the Father. And this father is teaching his son trust here. But guidance is promised. The Lord will direct your paths. You see, God doesn't play hide-and-seek with us. I don't think the will of God is something that God deliberately hides and you just have to really go out of your way to find. In fact, I think God is more interested in giving us leadership than we are in being led by Him. Sometimes we think it's an obstacle course. It's not. Proverbs 37 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Psalm 32, God says, I will instruct and teach you in the way that you should go. I will guide you with my eye. To me, it's inconceivable that God would go to all of the trouble to send His Son to die for you on the cross and then sort of leave you dangling to figure out the rest on your own. Philippians tells us that when we trust in the Lord, that God works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And so you have talents that you were born with. You have gifts of the Spirit that God gave to you when you were converted. And all that makes you you, God will uniquely use to give direction. He will direct your path. Now in the Bible, sometimes God would direct very obviously, very miraculously, dramatically. Uh, Adam and Eve, God wanted to direct them away from the Garden of Eden after they fell, lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever. And so God had an angel with a flaming sword that went in all directions to keep anyone who would enter the garden to come in. That is dramatic guidance. That is an obvious no. When you see that angel with a flaming sword, it's like, oh, okay, I won't go there. You might say Adam and Eve were on the cutting edge of God's will. And then there's that story in the wilderness where there was a pillar of fire and a cloud that hovered over them. And wherever the cloud and the fire pillar went, the children of Israel would go. It was an obvious guidance system. They never had to get up in the morning and say, you know, I'm wondering if this is God's will that I go to Canaan. They just follow that thing. That's God's supernatural guidance system. One of my favorite stories of dramatic guidance is the story of Abraham commissioning his servant to find his son Isaac a wife. And he said, now leave here, leave Canaan, go back to our hometown, our surroundings, and just trust God. And so there's the servant. He stops by a well and he prays. Dear God, I pray that when the people come to water their flocks at this well, that there would be a beautiful woman. 
And I pray that the woman who lets down her bucket into the well to get water. And when I say to that woman, Lord, can I have a drink? I pray, Lord, that she would say, not only will I give you a drink, but I'll give water to your camels. I pray she'll be the one. That was a very direct prayer for guidance. And the scripture says before he even finished praying, he looked up and there was a gorgeous woman standing in front of him. And she put her bucket down into the well. And so he thought, I'll try it. He said, hey, I'm thirsty. Could I have a drink? And she said, well, I'll not only give you some water, but your camels look like they could use water too. I'll give them something. He thought, yes, bingo. This is God's will. And it was. And he told the story to her father and eventually she became Isaac's wife. Beautiful story of obvious dramatic guidance. But there are other times when God gave direction to people who trusted in Him, who relied on Him, though it was not anything that was outwardly obvious, nor was it dramatic. It was supernatural, but it was done in very natural ways. The story of Esther is perhaps one of the best examples in the Bible. There's a lot of just-so-happens in that story that happened to be God weaving His will together for His purposes in their lives. It just so happened that Esther was Jewish. It just so happened that she became queen. It just so happened that her uncle Mordecai overheard a plot by Haman to overthrow and kill the Jews. It just so happened, and on and on. But God was weaving it all in a supernatural way. Or the story of Ruth. The Moabitess who came back to Bethlehem. Just so happened she was in the field of Boaz one day, and you know the rest of the story. We've covered it here before on Sunday mornings. God was giving direction in all of those instances. Some was obvious and dramatic, some was not. Now, for us in the New Testament, there is definitely a a, a cut, there's a break, there's a difference. Not only are we offered guidance... We have the guide living inside of each one of us. Now talk about a sophisticated guidance system. More so than a smart bomb who's got the nose filled with infrared and laser and computer technology, the Holy Spirit of God, the guide Himself, lives within each Christian. And Jesus promised, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. These are great promises. They're not given to the unbeliever. The unbeliever might call the psycho lines or look in the astrology sections or go to seances, but divine guidance is promised to only the Christian. In fact, divine guidance is something only the Christian wants. Unbelievers really don't want God's guidance. They don't want to be accountable to God who would tell them His agenda over their agenda. The great promise, God will direct your path. Now, if you have a New International Version and maybe a few other newer translations, it says that God will make your paths straight. That's how it's translated. Any of you have that translation this morning? Yes. Actually, it could be translated one or the other or both. The idea is He will give you direction, but the other idea is that God will make your paths straight. Or, better put, He will take away the obstacles that keep you from reaching the desired goal. The word could be translated to make straight or to make pleasant or to make prosperous or to make successful. In other words, God says, here is the goal for you. I will expedite you along the path. I will make sure that you get there. 
no matter what obstacles are in the way, I can remove them or give you strength through them to get you to the desired goal. It's sort of like Joshua was promised. He said, Joshua, this word shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in a day and night. It was the word of the law, the Bible. You'll meditate in a day and night to do whatever and to observe whatever is written therein. Then God said, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I'll make your path straight. I'll get you to that desired goal. Sailors have often noticed a phenomena when they go into the high seas and they go to the uh, areas where icebergs are floating. And uh, One um, sailor, in fact, uh, I was reading an account of, saw these icebergs that from the surface upward were 400 feet high. That was his estimation, 400 feet high. And yet, he said, though the winds were blowing in one direction and the waves were blowing in the same direction, the icebergs were going in the opposite direction. And that is because, as most of you know, 90% of the iceberg is below the surface. And though you might have waves and wind on the top trying to make it go in a certain direction, you've got stronger currents underneath where most of it lies to take it to the desired direction. And it seems that no matter what is blowing our way in terms of adversity, that God in His sovereign providential will is able to take us to the straight path, to direct our path to where He wants us to go, and the Holy Spirit is that guarantee. Now, let's go back, though. We've seen this promise to lean on. Let's look at the prerequisites. There are prerequisites. Uh, Discovering God's will is more than an itinerary. It is an attitude. And it can be summed up, the prerequisite, with the one word, trust. Trust. We all say that, don't we? I trust God. Well, let's look at it. Trust in the Lord, verse 5, with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. God designed us to depend on Him. God made us in such a fashion that we would depend on Him for everything. And we are in His will, when, whether we know His will or not, we're trusting Him for His will. In fact, the fall of man was mankind saying, I want to be independent of God's will. And that is always at the root of every sinful activity today is, I want to be independent of God's will. I don't want to depend on Him any longer. But I find that today, those who trust God, those who believe in God, are those who are ridiculed by those who say, well, faith is just a blind leap into the darkness. And, uh, okay, I can acknowledge that there are Christians, but after all, Christians are a little weak-minded. That's what Ted Turner called us. H.L. Mencken, the agnostic, said, faith can be defined as an illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable and the illogical. Now, I found, though, that everybody has faith. The most ardent atheist and agnostic has faith in something, in his system. But it takes faith to live every single day. 
Driving a car requires faith. Now, do we all understand engines? Do we all understand how it works? No, but we have faith that when we put the key in and turn it to the right, it will start. It takes faith for that. It takes faith to go to the doctor. You don't understand medicine. He gives you a bunch of bilateral pneumothorax and all this other stuff. You're going, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. You have no idea what he's saying, but you trust him. When you go to a bank, you have faith. You've been given a little piece of paper that has no inherent value at all, called a check. But you trust that the person who signed it and put an amount is good for it, that you'll get the money. It takes faith. It takes faith to eat at a restaurant. At some restaurant, it takes tremendous faith <laughs> that you will actually be nourished at that place. Notice this kind of trust, though. It is objective trust. Trust in the Lord. Please mark that. The idea isn't, well, everybody should just trust, just have faith, this general kind of faith in a higher power, or faith in faith itself. No, this is faith that has an object. Trust in the Lord. It is based upon a relationship. You see, when you really know someone, you trust them. Or, sometimes when you really know someone, you don't trust them. But when you really know God, and you discover who He is, and you have that relationship with Him, you find out He is so trustworthy. As Francois Fenelon said, he said, God's winds are always blowing, but we must hoist the sail. That's what trust does. God is going in a direction. And that's where we want to go, right? God's direction. Find out where He's moving. Hoist the sail of trust and go in the direction of God. But let me give you a warning now. To trust in the Lord can be dangerous to your human nature. You do not like faith. I don't like faith either. It's sometimes hard in our human nature, with human logic, to just say, I abandon myself fully to you, O God. Especially when the guidance is not dramatic, right? When the guidance is dramatic, well, great, I can see that. I can see the obvious hand of God. But what about when it's not? And we'd all like a vision that Peter had on the rooftop when he was down in Joppa of a sheet coming down and God speaking to him through a vision, we would settle for that. We like that dream. Or if a bush spoke to us like it did Moses, a burning bush. So oh, I, I could hang with that. I'd even settle for a star to lead me like the Magi. But to walk completely by faith without any kind of sight is certainly more difficult. The other day when I was in California visiting my mom, I walked over to the mountain that I walked up just about a week after I became a Christian. And you see, I had just gotten a Bible, and I knew that God wanted to guide my life. I didn't know where, and so I'd walked up to this uh, mountain. I sat on it. I figured Moses did it, and Moses got Ten Commandments from God, so who knows what I'll get. So I got up there with a piece of paper and a pencil, and I said... Go for it, God. I'm ready to write down what you want me to do. And he never spoke to me audibly. He nourished my heart as I read the Word, and I felt God's guidance. I experienced it, and I can look back and certainly see it. It's much more difficult to trust without any kind of sight. So it takes trust, an objective trust, a trust in the Lord. Secondly, it is a wholehearted trust. Notice, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. 
Now, in the Bible, it's a little bit obscure sometimes as to what heart means. Oftentimes, it is a synonym for the mind. I don't know why, but some people think the heart and the mind are are, uh, two worlds apart. Don't know it in your mind, they say, know it in your heart. Well, in the Bible, it's often a synonym. The heart is the mind. That's the idea back in verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them, that is the commands, the law, on the tab, uh, around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The idea is to memorize it. Put it in your mind. But then oftentimes the Bible talks about the heart as being the emotions. Like in Proverbs 15, a merry heart does good like medicine. Other times the heart is the will of a person. In Proverbs 14 and 16 and 11, it speaks of a perverse heart or the backslider in heart. And so, taken all together, the heart seems to refer to the whole person or a wholehearted movement. With all of your inner being, trust in the Lord with everything you've got is the idea. Trust could mean to lean on or to lay prostrate. When we talk about leaning on the Lord, trusting in the Lord, versus leaning on your own understanding, don't get this picture, like I'm leaning on my pulpit. Okay, I'm trusting God. No, well, actually, I'm leaning on the pulpit, but if this gave way, I could always get back up. I've got a backup. That's not the faith of the New Testament. It is to lie completely, to trust in abandonment, Um There was a missionary who was trying to translate the Bible in the native language of the tribe that he was serving. And uh, he got to John 3.16, and it was difficult to find a word in the language that was the corollary to our word believe or trust. And he was trying to describe the concept to the brains of the tribe, the elders of the tribe. And suddenly one of them got up, ran into the tent, hopped on a cot and muttered something in his native language. Missionary said, what is he saying? The elder said, he just said, I will throw all of my weight upon this cot. The man said, that's the word I want. This is how he translated then John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever throws all of his weight on him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a wholehearted trust That is the idea in the Bible, and certainly it's the idea here. And notice it's further qualified. It says, and lean not on your own understanding. Ooh, it's getting tougher now, isn't it? Trust in the Lord. Okay, I can trust in Him. With all of your heart, mm, that's a little more difficult. Now, lean not on your own understanding. What does that mean? Does that mean we shouldn't think our way through things? No, I think God's given you a mind. Does that mean we shouldn't ask The counsel of other mature Christians? No, even Proverbs says that in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. But the idea is that you exalt intellect and you exalt your own logic over trusting in God or over the principles of God found in the Bible. Many times in a situation, our God can be too small and our heads can be too big and we start leaning on our own understanding of a situation. Also, I think this is a warning against trusting a person's feelings. 
This is a common abuse among many Christians. Well, I just feel such and such. And I get a good feel for that. And and yes, there is a level of discernment that must be checked out, however, with the Bible and with others. But it says in the Jeremiah chapter 10, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Now, a lot of times when we say, God, I want your direction. Lord, I want your guidance. It sounds good, but many times what we're doing is what people do when they go to an architect and ask him to design a house for them. I've spoken with architects about this. They've told me, you know, a lot of times people will come and say, I want you to design me a house. What they really want is they've already got the house designed up here. They want the satisfaction of having me draw out what they've already designed for them then have me design it for them. And a lot of times we come to God and say, Now, God, I'm going to trust you with all my heart. Now, this is what I want you to do, God. We've got it all designed. Trouble is, it's a flawed design often. Jeremiah 17, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes the flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. The danger when we lean on our own understanding and we don't check it out with what God has already given us as a direction to do or His Word, the trouble is, is that we can miss God's will. That doesn't mean He won't bring us back providentially, supernaturally, but we miss the highest. We miss the highest. Case in point, Abraham. God told him to go where? Canaan. God said, I'm going to bless you in this land, just stay put. Well, what happened? A famine hit the land. He pushed the panic button. He ran down to Egypt. He didn't consult God. He ran down to Egypt. Now, it could be, and and we know what it's like. Whenever you're in a pressured situation, when the chips are down, when it looks like there's no resource coming, we have the tendency, A, to panic, B, to spiritualize things. You know, we we want relief. We want to leave our situation. So we're driving down the street and things aren't going good at home and things aren't going good on the job. And we see an airline's advertisement for Hawaii and we take it as an omen from God to move there. We want relief. Oh, Hawaii, yes. Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Amen to that. Joshua also did this. He has taken his troops and his Followers, the followers of God into the land of Canaan, they overtook Jericho because God said to do it, and God gave them the battle plan. Then they presumed. They saw Ai, a little town just a little bit north, and they thought, oh, look, just a little bit of, this is going to be easy. We won't even take our whole army. So they went there and were miserably defeated because they did not consult God. They started leaning on their own understanding instead of step by step. Now, there will be times you do not understand. There will be times when it seems like no signal is coming from God. The antenna's up, the satellite dish is turned up to 10, but you're not receiving anything. And you get frustrated. You think, wait a minute. God's supposed to give light to my path. Where's the light? Well, know this. When God, in His sovereign, knowing plan, withdraws sunlight from you, It's so that He might direct your steps by moonlight. It takes more faith in dark times. But He will direct you. Oh, you won't see us clearly. But just trust with all of your heart. 
Uh, Verse 6 gives us uh, the third thing in trusting God. It is a recurrent trust. It's not once, it's over, been there, done that. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. You see, trusting God is not a hobby that we indulge in periodically. And trusting God is not something we do when we go to bed and we say, now I lay me down to sleep. Uh, Trusting God is not an emergency room session where God never hears from us until we're in a fix. And, oh God, please help. Call the emergency 911 heaven. It is to be something that is done in all of our ways, a constant recurring thing. The New Testament corollary is to pray without ceasing. It's our constant practice. Lord, I'm including you in this plan and in this plan. I ask you to direct this and I offer this person to you. It takes time set aside every day to do that, doesn't it? In all of your ways, acknowledge him. I think the big reason that we do this is so that we make sure that our ways are his ways and that we're not going in the wrong way. And so we acknowledge him, which is a very rich term that means to have fellowship with him. It is a term of relationship used in the Bible of husbands and wives in relationship with each other. In other words, I must never be in a situation where I don't look to God for direction. It is said that there is a man who lives in Arabia, or I should say lived in Arabia, it's an older story, who never lost his direction. They called him the dove man, the bird man. Wherever he went, he carried a homing pigeon and he attached a fine cord to one of its legs. Long enough to fly, but not too long that he would uh, lose it. And so whenever he lost his direction, as he was going out through the desert, he'd let this homing pigeon go, and it would strain to pull toward the home. So he always knew where he was in conjunction to where he started from. And it gave him further direction. And he would do this frequently. He'd get lost, throw it up. Get lost, throw up the homing pigeon. We need to do that all the time. I found an old Jewish proverb that says, it's better to ask the way ten times than to take the wrong road once. God doesn't get ticked off at you. You say, God, give me your direction. He's not going to say, you just asked me for it. Leave me alone, would you? In all of your ways, acknowledge Him, step by step. Uh, Fourthly, it's to be a Bible-based trust. It's to be based on the Scriptures. It says in verse 1, My son, do not forget my law. The word law is Torah. It's a word that usually refers to the first five books of Moses. Here's a father teaching his son the Bible. It's the law that has come through him, but it's the law of God. Let your heart keep my commands. Length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. To know God's will, we have to know God's word. To be led by the Spirit, we have to be learned in the Spirit. And the way we do that is this roadmap right here. The more you know this book, the more you will know the ways of the author of this book. You will see the way God moves in different situations. You will know his heart and mind. That's what David meant when he said, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light unto my path. You see, your faith, your trust in God needs to be fed. 
And it is fed by God's truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the Bible is like wonder bread for your trust. It will build strong spiritual bodies more than 12 ways. It is manna for your soul. It will guide you. It will direct you. Fifthly, it's to be an obedient trust. It's to be a trust in God. It's objective trust. It's to be a wholehearted trust. It's to be a recurrent trust all the time in all of your ways. It's to be based on the Scripture, because God will never lead you contrary to the Scripture, right? You never have to pray, for instance, Well, Lord, I'm thinking of moving in with this uh, person, uh, uh, my girlfriend, for instance, and uh, I just want to know if it's your will. You don't have to pray about that. The Bible gives strong directions about stuff like that. It has to be based on the Bible. But fifthly, it needs to be obedient. Notice it says, My son, do not forget my law. Let your heart keep my commands. Keep my commands. Remember we said the word trust means to lie down. Well, the whole definition is to lie face down, helpless. It was used of um, servants lying before their masters, waiting to hear direction that they might do what the master said. It was used of... uh, Soldiers that were defeated and they were waiting before the general to hear directions, their new instructions from the person who had just taken over his life. Donald Gray Barnhouse once said, I can say from experience that 95% of knowing the will of God consists in being prepared to do it before you know what it is. And we will often in counseling ask people who come in for counseling. Now before we start the session... Once we find out through the Bible what the will of God is, are you prepared to obey it no matter what the cost? If they say, well, I want to hear what it is first. Well, I think the counseling session is over. If you're willing to do it, then there's room to talk here. But it takes that wholehearted obedience. That's what the idea of trust is. So your trust must be active to be useful. Uh, I heard of a woman who uh, kept all of her jewels in a local bank. Her prized possession was uh, strings of pearls that were kept uh, in the bank vaults. But pearls need contact with human skin to stay full of luster and to keep their value up. And so the bank secretaries every week would put on a string of pearls and go out to lunch for an hour or so, and uh, that would be sufficient enough for the pearls to continue their luster. Great job, huh? What's your job? I wear pearls. God's promises need to be not just shrined on our walls, but need to be taken out and worn by us and lived out in obedient, wholehearted trust. Let me give you an example. What if Noah would have preached God's judgment? A flood's coming, but he never built the boat. Wouldn't people be a little suspect? God's going to rain on the earth. He's going to judge it. Really? Where's the boat, dude? If you're so sure about it, let's see it in your life. But the Bible says he was moved with godly fear and he built an ark for the saving of his household. Now, look back to verse 2, and this is the third and final section of this message, the payoff to last us. The promise is God will direct us. The prerequisite is trust. There's a payoff to it. In verse 2, length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. But more than that, in verse 8, it says of this trust, it will be health to your flesh. It will be strength to your bones. It will be health to your flesh. Uh, In the margin of my Bible, 
It says literally, flesh is navel. Trust in God with all of your heart. It will be health to your navel. Everybody wants a healthy navel, right? Now some translations call it flesh or body. Others will translate it nerves. It will be good for your nervous system. And then it says it will be strength to your bones. Or literally, trusting God will be like water to dry bones. Dry bones in the Bible is often a picture of desolation and despair. So the idea here is that when you trust God, there is a payoff. There is a corollary in the the way you live your life. The satisfaction that you have when you live your life. It will be good for your nervous system. It will take away that desolation and that despair that you have. And you'll see it. It will be obvious. And even... Your life physically. Put another way, though medical technology can add years to your life, trusting God can add life to your years. It will give water to dry bones. In fact, more and more the medical community is determining that spirituality affects health. I have an article from USA Today. Listen to this. Medical sociologists from Purdue University show that people who regularly worship say they feel healthier than those who don't. Researchers compiled data from interviews with 1,473 people and found of those who said they don't worship regularly, 9% reported poor health, 26% claimed excellent health. Among those who are regular worshipers, just 4% said they were in poor health, while 36% reported excellent health. I'm not saying that This is just a quick way to get healthy, wealthy, and wise. But there is a relationship in those who trust God and their life, especially their nervous system, the way they approach life, the satisfaction with which they live. Now, God wants to direct you. God wants to satisfy your life. God delights in directing people. God designed us to be directed as such. But I wonder if we're letting them. Have you ever gone on an airplane and you're sitting in a seat and somebody walks up to you after you're comfortably seated, you've got the seatbelt on, you're ready to read the magazine, have the snack of two peanuts per person, and you're waiting there and uh, somebody will come up to you with a little boarding pass and say, excuse me, I think you're sitting in my seat. You go, no, no, no. And you pull it out and say, see, here it is. There's my number. And he'll pull it out. He's got the same number. This happened to a couple at Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport. They rushed to the airplane. The plane was packed. They went up to their seat. The couple was already sitting in it. And he said, I think you're in my seat. The guy said, no, 22 E and F, it's my seat. And so the guy and his wife standing in the aisle said, hey, I'm just happy to be on this plane. And uh, the stewardess found him another seat toward the back. And they're sitting there, and the plane took off. 31,000 feet, he pulls out his ticket, and he discovers it wasn't a computer error. He was on the wrong plane. You see, in Phoenix Sky Harbor Airport in Terminal 4, Gate 12B and 13 are so close to each other, they're steps apart. And making that quick beeline, he just, instead of going on the plane to Dallas where he wanted to go, he's now on the way to Chicago. (laughs) Was he sincere? Oh, yes. Was he dedicated? You bet. Did he have good motives? Yes. Was he on the wrong plane? Yes. It doesn't matter how dedicated and sincere you may be. If you're on the wrong plane, on the wrong path, 
God wants to direct your path. And it could be that you need to land and make an emergency landing right now and give your life to Jesus Christ. He wants to direct you first of all to the cross to have your sins forgiven. And then He promises that guidance system, the Holy Spirit living within you to direct our paths. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for the promises of the Bible. And more than just guidance, the guide lives in us. Jesus said He would come to us. He promised the Spirit. Lord, we confess that there are times where it is difficult to know what You might have in mind. And we are tempted to leave that safe haven of trusting in our unseen God to place our trust in flesh, our strength in man. You've reminded us this morning, quite appropriately, that our safest place, the place of greatest satisfaction and fulfillment, to take away dryness and despair, is a place of trust in you, wholehearted trust, recurring trust in all of our ways, Trust that is based upon the truth of the Scripture and trust that is willing to obey. It is safe there, Lord. It is satisfying there. Keep us trusting you for everything we pray. We pray, Lord, for those who are on the wrong plane this morning, who have never asked you to guide their steps, that they would turn to you in Jesus' name. Amen.